You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I had said to you that I wasn't going to wait the full months to voice another story, so here we are again two weeks later. Warmer weather has arrived here in the UK and it's just as well really because international travel seems less and less likely as the day pass, which leaves me here still unable to go across to Belgium and hug the people I love while the clock ticks and ticks. So instead, I travel in the air and cupboard with you all. I have looked a few days ago and you are lending me your sweet little ears from 75 countries. I really want to know who is in Ukraine or in Nepal or on the Cayman Islands. There is actually a big map of the world that hangs on the wall just out of my cupboard. And each time I step in there, I look at it, I scan it. I search for some of the cities you are listening from and somehow it links me to you. The Airing Cupboard has just celebrated its second birthday. When I sat in here two years ago and I told you the story of the, the little orange lady, which is my story, little did I know what a whirlwind it was all going to be. It has brought some very special people in my life. Some new friendships were formed. It has linked me to all of you. But most importantly, it seems to have created its own little community. And some of you are now in touch with each other. And that connection between yourselves was unforeseen and is a complete gift to me. I also think that my decision of keeping the podcast completely non-commercial was the best one I could have taken. And I can see that you are giving so much back by sharing the project with your friends and this is still growing and that is thanks to you. Right Zoe, enough gibberish and on with the story. So today's story comes from Madeline in New Jersey, America. Madeline is 94 and the way I was lucky enough to interview her is very typical of this project. So I heard the story on ABC Canada, then I read an article in the New York Times. I contacted Patty in Canada, if you remember her from the story Jamie's Choice. And I told her that I loved the story and asked her if she knew how to go about finding more info. And within a few hours, I had received an email which was putting me in touch with Howard Foreman, who happened to be at the source of the story and the music, which is so kindly allows me to use today. How amazing is that? So I met Madeline a month or two ago via a video call and I was amazed. First, she looks 30 years younger, but her voice, her voice is strong, full of life and energy, joy and gratefulness. And after hearing a story, it made perfect sense. Well, I was born in Newark, New Jersey. We had five. I had an older sister, two older brothers, and a brother younger than me. And uh, we were, as the expression goes, poor. 
We didn't have much of anything. <laughs> Her parents were both immigrants from Russia. Her mother had learned English on her own, reading street and shop signs. She learned to speak it well and without accent. Her father, on the contrary, was a quiet man. Could he speak English fluently? I'm not sure, but reading and writing wasn't a priority. His priority was trying to provide a living for his family. Enough to put on the table and feed the seven mouths, five of which were growing and hungry. And there were days where there wasn't enough to go around. Things were tough. There was no money. The family lived in a small flat, no hot water. Madeline remembers those bitter cold mornings where she would wake up and get out of bed. Her mother would have been up for a while and would have stacked up the big old black burner. Madeline would stand in front of it and warm the front of her body while her back would freeze and then turn to warm the other side like a toast. Her father worked hard selling bananas out of a pushcart and the child would stand beside him when he would come home after a long day in the evening, sit at the kitchen table and open his little leather money bag to have a count up of the day's taking. And Madeleine would watch the coins drop onto the table with their own jingling music. They were only pennies, but to her it was money, and she watched in awe. Things were tough, but it was just how it was. And it certainly didn't stop her ever doing the one thing she loved doing, singing. As a girl growing in the 30s, she was, like most of the girls of her age, admiring the talents of Judy Garland or Ella Fitzgerald. There was always a melody in the girl's heart, a tune hummed in her head, a few lyrics on her lips and sometimes a good old song resonating in the rooms, the streets. She discovered that she could sing easily, naturally. And years later, she indeed found out that she had what we call the perfect pitch. And she had listened to her idols so much, she had absorbed their style. She would sing anywhere and everywhere. And soon it became apparent that her voice was indeed quite special. She had a two and a half octave range. There was something magical about it. And she started singing everywhere she could. Weddings, bar mitzvah, even in the streets with her friends. And I loved it. Wherever I was, there was a microphone, I found it. And I sang. I never had any fear. I would say I knew I was good. I knew I could sing. I knew the things I wanted to know. And that was it. I just 
felt secure. And it didn't matter if there were a thousand people in front of me or two people. I'll sing to you. I, I love it. One day, when she was 16 or so in high school, the theater in town called the Adams Theater was hosting a talent contest. She hadn't thought twice about it. She had skipped class and escaped school with a couple of her friends to take part. And there, in front of the microphone, she sang. And she won. As she was leaving the theater, the MC, the comedian Joey Adams, a very well-known man at the time, stopped her and told her she had a good voice. She ought to pursue a career in singing. I can only imagine how it felt for Madeline. Her dream of becoming a singer was almost within reach. Someone within the industry had recognized her talent and, for the very first time, was blowing in her sails. But to be a singer at that time, you had to travel, of course. You, you had to tour. You had to go to different cities to be seen and heard. And all of that was expensive let alone the years spent at college beforehand to learn the skills. And the noise of the pennies dropping onto the kitchen table was never too far away. There were some issues in the family at the time and really they needed Madeleine to help earn money, contribute to the household. And of course, that is just what she did. And instead of becoming a singer, she took a job as a secretary. She earned money that came to supplement what was coming out of the little leather bag and she spent much time looking after her younger brother. Did she regret it? She certainly didn't voice it when I spoke to her. She just did what she had to do. The way the world was was different, quite different. You did what you did, or uh, that's it. It's and you got to take what the good and the bad, and accept what you have to, and just keep going. And I did. But she kept on singing, wherever she could, whenever she could. If there was a microphone, she would find it. And someone, somehow, must have loved her well, because in 1946 she found herself walking into the Hertz studios. For a few dollars, the studios would record some 78 RPM records with the in-house band, and they would cut them there and then. She had no money. Someone must have paid for them. That day, as she walked into the recording studio, she was wearing a dress, off the shoulders, long skirt, black and white check. Did she feel beautiful, vibrant, confident in her abilities? I'm not sure, but she told me that today, 75 years later, she still has the dress. She hung on to it. These were her words. She remembers a big room. She saw a microphone at the other end, walked to it and started singing. She was probably closing her eyes and it was like she was singing to a thousand people. She sang, she was focused. 
it was wonderful, is what she simply said to me. And just like that, Madeleine walked out of her studios with a few 78 RPM records safely tucked under her arm. A little extraordinary blip in an ordinary life. Madeleine met Joe on a night out. She had gone out dancing with a friend of hers and he had caught her eye. He had been brought up on the shores. He was a straight and kind type of man. He had a steady job, and it wasn't long before they were an item. And Madeleine remembers dancing with him on Saturday nights. That is what they would do. And against his chest, secure in his embrace, in the warmth of his neck, she would sing softly in his ear, just for him. Two children were born, a boy and a girl, Glenn and Adrian, and 67 years of happy marriage went by. Madeleine told me that her children weren't musical, they didn't play any instruments, they didn't sing, there was no music in the house. Just me, she said, and with no bitterness. But there was always a song, even if only in her heart, some days. At the beginning of lockdown, Madeleine and her husband decided to downsize and move into an apartment, leaving behind the house which had harbored their family for 60 years. The house was too big, they didn't need all that room. Many corners and spaces hadn't been used or lived in for a long while. And so Madeleine had started unpacking boxes in the new apartment. Of course, she had started with the things they might need immediately, leaving others for another day. And it must have been one of those other days. And she got to it. A brown box. She vaguely remembered it had been at the back of a wardrobe in one of the rooms of the old house that never got used. But as to what was inside, she had no idea. But somehow, there was maybe an intuition, as when she laid her hand on the box, her heart sped up just a bit. And she opened it, and there, safely tucked away and undamaged, was a stack of 78 RPM records, mysterious in their black lustre, this spiral grove speaking of another time unrolling the past and Madeleine touched them her 1946 records she hadn't laid eyes on them for more than 60 years she phoned her son Glenn immediately they sourced a record player which itself wasn't an easy task and at last they played it 
as Madeleine sat on the sofa, as the music started filling the room, filling her ears, filling her heart, she probably closed her eyes. She saw a big room, a microphone, a dress of the shoulders, long skirt, black and white check. And it was as if time and its passing hadn't existed, ever. And when the record ended, she listened again. And her son, Glenn, stood, astounded to discover a part of his mother he had no idea about. And I can only imagine that it must have been like discovering a new person, like seeing someone for the very first time revealed in one of their mysteries. And I'm sure that Glenn was able to measure in that moment the gap between what had been and what could have been in the life of his mother. But of course the story doesn't end here. To the contrary, for Madeleine, it's only about to start. And it all went very fast. Howard Foreman, I mentioned him before, a cousin, was contacted. He worked in the music industry in Canada, Montreal. He told them not to touch the records anymore. It was extraordinary that the acetates had survived 75 years undamaged and handling them could hinder them and of course they could easily shatter in 100 pieces. They were somehow shipped to Howard so he could preserve the audio and re-record under a digital format. And so he listened and he was astonished. These were good, very good. Madeline's speech was beautiful. Her phrasing was beautiful. And Howard posted the recording on his social media and it exploded. Within a few days, he had received hundreds of comments from all around the world, including some from Grammy and Academy Award winners. And Madeleine got showered with sweet and deserved attention. But the very best was that a new recording was arranged in New Jersey. She sang the very same song she had sung 75 years before. Because of Covid, she was alone and the musicians were recorded remotely. She walked into the room and she saw the microphone and she just sang. Tear a star from out the sky And the sky feels blue And if anyone could have seen her, they would have seen a vibrant woman of no age. The eyes mostly closed, her right hand sometimes waving in front of her as if caressing the notes, or sometimes both hands emphasizing a feel, the hint of a smile on her lips between phrases. They would have seen a woman completely absorbed in the expression of her art and as if rooted in a very alive part of herself and one that belonged to her only. Of course, Madeleine loved the experience. An album was created and released on SoundClouds, iTunes and Spotify, 
A website was created under her name. Podcasts were made in the States. A lovely article was written in the New York Times. Posts were shared on social media. A film documentary has been made. And soon, there will be an appearance on US national television. At the grand age of 94, Madeleine Foreman is now enjoying the bit of fame she could have had as a young woman. And I am left wondering about the choices she had made 75 years ago, of having to do what she had to do, and seemingly without any regrets. Those choices had led her to the path that she had been allowed to journey during her life, like marrying Joe, being a mother to her two children, Glenn and Adrian. But what I find extraordinary is that, despite all of it, life was going to knock back on her door at the grand age of 94. And yes, I do wonder, and I explore this a lot with you here and here in Cupboard, is life a succession of chances, conversions, or is it inescapable fate, design, destiny? It's a big question to have here while sitting in a cupboard on a Saturday morning. And really, does it matter? As for Madeleine, she doesn't seem to wonder about it. She just takes it in a stride, accepts and goes with the flow. Maybe I should learn to be a bit more like her. Everybody's so good to me. It's wonderful. Like <laughs> They're making me alive again. And, and for, during a period of now that people are, well, a little depressed because of the COVID and getting out of it, I feel great. I'm living and everything is wonderful. And, and, and that's it. We're, we're moving ahead. We keep going. And anything that was not to our liking, push it aside a little bit, you know, let it go. Nothing can change it, let it go. Go forward and find new things. And it's what we have to do, you know, and uh, I'll keep singing. <laughs> I sing to my husband every morning, get up, get up, you know, the, the army song, oh, how I love to go out in the morning. I think Irving Berlin wrote it. Hate to go to bed, you know, so I, I get up in the morning and I sing that one. <laughs> Et voilà. I hope you have enjoyed Madeleine's story. I have, from the very moment I first read about it. If you have, now you have one thing to do. And it is an important one. Go and follow her music. Share it. Make her big. Speak about her. But most importantly, just listen to it and enjoy. I did so myself, sitting in the warm evening with a glass of wine. It was bliss. So you will find Madeleine's music on SoundClouds, Spotify and iTunes under Madeleine Foreman. There is a website which is madeleineforeman.com from where you will be able to access different articles, different podcasts and also the beautiful short film documentary that was very recently produced and I will leave all the links to the website and the music on the footnotes of this episode. I just want to thank a few people here. First of course Madeline for trusting me with her story, her son Glenn for facilitating the interview 
I want to thank Patty Henderson for establishing the very first contact. And of course, I want to thank Howard Foreman, who has been so kind and supportive with me. I wish you all a good few weeks and until we meet again in the airing cupboard. Goodbye.